Church, as we open up God's Word this morning to Ephesians, our elementary kids are welcome at this time to gather in the foyer for children's worship time during the remainder of our service, but we're trekking through Ephesians, and so let me invite you to join me, to rejoin me in this letter in Ephesians chapter 4 today, and that video certainly serves as a reminder of a special offering that we participate in, that we give to this time of year alongside sister churches in our own denomination, supporting our International Mission Board missionaries that are serving in unreached places all around the world. Our church goal this year is $75,000, and church, you have already given over $30,000 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering this year. And so thank you for your generosity. Thank you for, for seeking the Lord in this way. Let's continue to do so, anticipating what the Lord will do through His people for the glory of His name all around the world. Well, President George Washington uh, gets credit for announcing the first nationwide Thanksgiving celebration in 1789 and said this. He said, it's a, a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many favors of Almighty God. As we saw last week, God calls His people to be distinct. He calls us to be different from the world. And one of the ways that our lives should look different uh, is the way that we celebrate Thanksgiving. To whom are we thankful? Now, I've wondered at times uh, how and why unbelievers participate, how and why unbelievers celebrate Thanksgiving. To To whom are they thankful? You know, it's one thing to be grateful. It's another thing to be grateful to God. He's the source of all that we have, not least of which is salvation itself. And that gracious gift of salvation is the theme of Ephesians. A a salvation that is certainly by God's grace, it's unearned, it's undeserved, but as we've already seen, as we've been journeying through this short letter, it is a salvation that should produce good works in the saved, in us. A transformed life marked by a different way of thinking and a different way of living, and today's text spells out some of, some of the particular ways our lives should look different than they once did, and some of the ways that our lives should begin to reflect the character of the God who has saved us. And so, church, let's open the Word and let's hear what it means to imitate Jesus Christ. And so, as you find your place there in the Bible, would you stand with me in body or in spirit for the reading of God's Holy Word? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 2 is our text for this morning. Let's hear from the Lord. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood... And speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Would you pause with me for prayer? Oh, Father, we thank you for being a God who speaks. You have spoken to us, and you still speak to us through your word. So speak to us now, instruct us, guide us in accordance with your will for the glory of your name and the good of your church. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We may be seated. Well, there's a, there's a loose pattern here in our text for today. There's an old life behavior, an old self behavior, a negative behavior that's listed first. Uh, followed by a positive behavior, a new, a new life, a new self behavior that is fitting for followers of Jesus. And then, in, in most of these, there's a theological reason or motivation that's given by Paul for that particular change. And so that being said, these truths are easily transferable into our lives as believers living in Birmingham, Alabama for immediate application Today, In other words, even though Paul's writing a situational letter in a particular time and place, these characteristics of Christ followers transcend time and place. They're universal. They're transferable and equally applicable in ancient Ephesus and in modern Birmingham. Paul's list of marks of Christ followers isn't exhaustive. This is not an exhaustive list of ways in which followers of Jesus should have a new life, a transformed life in Jesus Christ, but it's meant to get us started. I think it's meant to, to, to prod us to consider how our lives as believers who've been rescued by the grace of the Almighty God should stand distinct, set apart from the ways of the world. And so what are they? What are some of these marks that Paul gives us? What are some of these marks of those who know Jesus, how should our lives look different? Number one, he says rather clearly that Christ's followers replace lying with truth-telling. Christ's followers replace lying with truth-telling, telling the truth. And note in all of these, and notice in all of these, and we would do well, we, we need to notice in all of this that these particular applications of conduct and living and speech and thinking are an overflow of a new identity given to us as people in Jesus Christ. In other words, our, our identity in Christ precedes transformed conduct, a new way of living in Jesus Christ and, and not the other way around. Right, this is part of Paul's instruction to, to live in a way that is worthy of the calling, the identity, or the salvation that you have received in Jesus Christ. Now we have young kids. We 
We do the reverse of this. We have to for a season. If a toddler is approaching the street, we, we don't explain to them why they don't need to run in the street. We simply snatch them. Stop. Get away from the street. This is behavior modification. You can't go there. But there comes a day, there comes a season where as parents we tell them why you don't go in the street. And ultimately, they don't go in the street because their lives are precious. They're valuable. They're precious and valuable to us and not just us, but more importantly, to God himself. And so that's what Paul is saying here. That's what the Spirit is saying through Paul to The church, your life is precious. You've been rescued, delivered, redeemed, saved in Jesus Christ. And these are the ways that your life should look different as followers of Jesus Christ. Christ followers replace lying with truth-telling. You see, the world is marked by deception. But Christ's kingdom is marked by truth. False teachers deceive. We saw this in chapter 4, verse 14. But Christians speak the truth in love. Chapter 4, verse 15. We saw it again last week, hearing how prior to salvation we were marked by futile thinking and darkened understanding. Verses 17 and 18, before we learned what? The truth. The truth that is in Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus' people speak the truth and speak truthfully. Verse 25. Meaning, we're to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the theological basis for this command is that God has brought us together as members of one body. In other words, don't lie any longer. Tell the truth. Speak truthfully because you are members of one body, of one people, of one new humanity, one new body in Jesus Christ. You see, just as a husband should care for his wife as he cares for himself, so we are to love and care for one another as members of one body, of the same body of Jesus Christ. And one expression, church, of that love and care for one another is honesty. Christ's followers replace lying with truth-telling. And second mark that he gives us, Christ's followers recognize the danger of anger. Christ's followers recognize the danger of anger. Anger is a natural human emotion. But when we're angry, we're susceptible. That's what Paul's saying here. There's a time to be angry. There's a time to be angry over evil and injustice in the world. But we best not let it fester, for when we do, verse 27, we give the devil a foothold. A foothold into our lives, meaning we give the great deceiver space to deceive us. The Bible is absolutely clear. That's exactly what he wants to do. Satan desires to deceive us. Which is why Paul will soon say in chapter 6, verse 11, he'll say, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's real and he's a schemer. And likewise, Peter himself warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Friends, Satan is real and he looks for those he can lead astray into sin against God. And Satan knows those that are consumed by anger are highly susceptible to dishonoring God. Sort of like playing with fire. 
But I love to build a fire. It's November 28th in Alabama, and you can ask my family. I've already built several fires on cool nights this fall. I love to build a fire, but you don't play with fire, right? Like the words play and fire shouldn't be in the same sentence. They don't belong in the same sentence, but fire, if controlled, is not a bad thing. It can be a great thing. But left unmonitored, fire becomes dangerous. Likewise, when anger festers in us, the devil notices. He notices and he makes every effort, every attempt to toss temptation our way, luring us into sin against God. Like gasoline tossed on an open flame can quickly cause the fire to get out of control. So Christ followers are to recognize the danger of anger. So the devil doesn't gain a foothold. And according to the Bible, according to Scripture, Christ's followers replace stealing with working and giving. Christ's followers replace stealing with working and giving. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, verse 28. According to scholars, the the verb here for steal refers to, to stealing secretly. Stealing secretly. This is not like the the flash mob of robbers that's going on. It's hitting California. No, this is this is secret stealing. The way Paul lists this suggests stealing was a real issue in that day. According to Frank Thielman, New Testament scholar, he says Paul probably has in mind the working poor whose income would fluctuate with the seasons and the agrarian economy of Roman Asia and who may have supplemented their income in difficult times by secretly stealing from their employers and others. You see, secretly stealing for personal profit wasn't just a thing of ancient Ephesus, but it happens today across every social strata, from wealthy executives who pad their own Pockets from the company's excesses to poor criminals to everyday citizens on dishonest tax reports and everywhere in between. According to God, stealing is wrong and unfit for Jesus' people. I don't know about you, but I love Paul's motivation here for this. Anyone who's been stealing, don't steal anymore, but work hard. We're to work hard doing something useful with our own hands that we may have something to share with those in need. Verse 28. Notice how all of these marks reflect a transformation. A clear transformation from a self-centered, prideful lifestyle to a lifestyle that is characterized by humility and love for others. I mean, imagine the impact. Imagine the impact on a church. Imagine the impact on a community if every follower of Christ took these things to heart. If we invited the Spirit to work in us in a way that transformed our lives so that we would indeed work hard so that we can give as much as we can so that we can be generous in all that we have. Elsewhere, Paul would write, he said, in Titus chapter 3, he said, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Why? In order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. John Wesley, the great preacher and 
songwriter said, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. Work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. Of course, this is a man that was not known for living a a lavish lifestyle. Make as much as you can so that you can give away as much as you can to kingdom causes. Jesus also said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And perhaps the clearest model for such radical transformation from stealing to giving was in that wee little man, Zacchaeus. The wee little man that climbed up the sycamore tree because he wanted to see Jesus. Some of you are singing the song already in your minds right now. You can't help it. But he climbed up in the sycamore tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And once he saw Jesus, once he met Jesus, he went from a selfish taker to a sacrificial giver. From a greedy tax collector that was cheating others to giving away more than he had ever taken in order to meet the needs of others. Christ followers replaced stealing with working and giving. And fourth, Christ followers replaced useless speech with helpful speech. Christ followers are to replace useless speech with helpful speech. Once again, Paul's interested in what we say. And clearly, the transformation God works in his people should impact what we say. James, the brother of Jesus said, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He said, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Friends, our words either build up or they tear down. And those who know Jesus want to see Jesus honored and his church edified. And so we begin to use our words to build up the body of Jesus Christ. There's no place for backbiting or slander or gossip for these are traits of the old life. We used to talk that way. We used to act that way. Unbelievers act that way, but no longer, no longer a place for such among God's people. Rather, our speech should be helpful. It should be used to benefit others. When pastor and theologian Doug Webster says the purpose of communications is not to make us feel better, but to build others up. What if? What if that was a filter through which we engaged in conversations with others? Not to better ourselves, not to promote ourselves, but to build others up. Ultimately, to build up the body of of. Christ, and why is it so important? Why is it so important that we eliminate useless speech? I think Paul says, because such speech grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 30. The very one with whom we as believers were sealed for the day of redemption, meaning when Jesus returns to judge the world, God's people will be spared because the Holy Spirit marks us As God's children. Friend, are you one of God's children? Are you one of His? Are you a son or daughter of God? Have you been adopted into His family and saved by His grace? And are you indwelt by His Holy Spirit? Those who have trusted in Jesus are God's children and sealed forever by the Holy Spirit as a deposit that guarantees our future inheritance as the people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ. And church, because of that gracious reality... Because of that gracious reality, we make every effort to listen and submit and obey the Spirit rather than grieve the Spirit 
Not to earn God's favor, but because God has rescued us in Jesus. In other words, this is what it looks like to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received in Jesus Christ. Speech matters. Speech matters so much so that Paul presses into it a bit further. He continues writing about it, mentioning in verse 32 various types of verbal abuse, saying there's no room for such among the saved Christ followers replace verbal abuse with gospel grace. Followers of Jesus replace verbal abuse, old life, with gospel grace. Once again, the pattern is clear. Get rid of these things, bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, and malice. Replace them with these things, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Why? Because in Christ, God forgave you. Verse 32. So here's a list of strong attitudes and strong emotions towards others that often lead to verbal abuse. For the context implies Paul's main concern here is verbally expressed anger. In other words, the way we talk to and about people with whom we disagree should be different from the way the rest of the world talks to and about people with whom they disagree. Our social media posts... Right, Our conversations about politics and pandemics and presidents and even the officiants of the Iron Bowl shouldn't sound like the endless bantering of talking heads. But our conversation should always be, in the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 4, full of grace. Full of grace. And here's the deal, church. You can't really show grace if you don't know the gracious one. We're not going to act as if we are in Christ if we're not in Christ. You're going to be wronged. We all are, for we're sinners living among other sinners. But when we're wronged, we're to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. Why? Because Titus chapter 3, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done. Not because we spoke truthfully. And not because we didn't get angry. And not because we didn't steal. And not because uh, we didn't uh, participate in, in useless, pointless talk. And not because we didn't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And not because we weren't bitter and slanderous and all of these things. Not because of these things. No, not because of righteous things we had done. But because of His mercy. But because of God's mercy. And this, then, is our foundation and our motivation For loving each other. You see, in our relationships with one another, we're to to imitate. We're to imitate the character of Jesus. That's what Paul's saying here. That's Paul's point here. Our love for each other should imitate God's gracious love for us, demonstrated by Christ on the cross. In other words, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like to be distinct from the world, to be set apart and different from the way of unbelievers. Our love for each other should imitate God's gracious love for us, demonstrated by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's what Paul means, I think, when he essentially says, just follow God's example as dearly 
loved children. Friend, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much God cares for you? Do you know how much God values you? Joey, do you know? Meredith, do you, do you know? Chris, do you know? Becky, do you know? Do you know? Friend, do you know? Ever, do you know how much God cares for you? How much He loves you? So much so that Jesus Christ came to give His life for us. A, a payment for our sin. A perfect sacrifice for guilty sinners like us. So guilty sinners like us, so that we could be reconciled to God Almighty forever and ever and ever. Do you know that love? Paul says, imitate that love. John says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You can't give what you don't have. You can't love others in this way if you don't know the love of Christ. If you've not received His love. And there's no doubt, I have no doubt, that we all hear a text like this and we think, that sounds like a community of people I'd like to be part of. People that love and serve and care for one another, people that are honest with one another. I'd like to be a part of a family like that. I'd like to experience that. I'd like to act in a way. I'd like my conduct to be consistent with that. But here's the deal. It hasn't been. Mine hasn't been. And I dare say yours hasn't been either. Not fully. It hasn't been. It can't be. It won't be. Not without Jesus. Friend, there's hope in Jesus. We've gathered today to celebrate the coming of Jesus and the coming of His kingdom and to anticipate His soon return where these traits will be full, fully known and practiced by all of God's people, by all of the redeemed in a perfect way in His kingdom, in His presence forever and ever and ever. There's hope in Him. God has promised it to be. He has sent Jesus to accomplish this and He has given us His Spirit to begin to work to transform us so that we begin to live like this. Are you looking to Jesus? Are you submitting to Jesus? If you've not done so, may today be the day that you turn to Christ for salvation, that you become one who is in Christ and indwelt by His Spirit and continually transformed so that you begin to reflect the character of our God. May it be so in us. May we imitate Christ. May we invite Him to shape us and to change us to that end today and always for the glory of His name. In just a moment, we're going to sing together a hymn of response and May each of us respond. May each of us submit ourselves to Him. May we welcome the coming of Christ and may we invite the Spirit of Christ to continually work in us so that we begin to imitate the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ or you have questions about that, don't don't allow this time 
to pass you by. You wrestle with that before the Lord. And as we sing, know that I'm available. If I can serve you, pray with you, be a presence with you in any way, then you come and let me know. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. Oh, Father, we thank you for this day, this occasion, this Lord's Day, this Resurrection Sunday in which your church has gathered to worship you. Father, that is our intent. That is our aim. That is our desire to glorify you because you alone are worthy of praise. You alone are worthy of honor. You alone are worthy of glory. And and even so, you are good. You are a good and gracious Father who has rescued us in Jesus. Father, we thank you for the coming of Christ. Lord, today we celebrate the first coming of Christ to accomplish for us what we can never do on our own, to live the perfect life that would become the perfect substitute sacrifice in the place of guilty sinners, guilty sinners such as us. Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, we celebrate that. And we invite your Spirit to work in us and through us and guide us and shape us so that we grow to become people who reflect your character. But Lord, we can't do that, nor would we want to do that on our own. So lead us, guide us, lead us to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.